0: chapter eight part two of the life of washington volume three by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eight part two Letter of general washington on american affairs as this letter contains an exact statement of american affairs according to the view taken of them by general washington and a faithful picture of the consequences of the ruinous policy which had been pursued drawn by the man best acquainted with them copious extracts from it will at least be excused after examining the sources of supplies for the campaign he proceeds to say but while we are meditating offensive operations which may not be undertaken at all or being undertaken may fail i am persuaded congress are not inattentive to the present state of the army and will view in the same light with me the necessity of providing in time against a period the first of january when one half of our present force will dissolve the shadow of an army that will remain will have every motive except mere patriotism to abandon the service without the hope which has hitherto supported them of a change for the better this is almost extinguished now and certainly will not outlive the campaign unless it finds something more substantial to rest upon this is a truth of which every spectator of the distresses of the army cannot help being convinced those at a distance may speculate differently but on the spot an opinion to be to the contrary judging human nature on the usual scale would be chimerical the honourable the committee of congress who have seen and heard for themselves will add their testimony to mine and the wisdom and justice of congress cannot fail to give it the most serious attention to me it will appear miraculous if our affairs can maintain themselves much longer in their present train if either the temper or the resources of the country will not admit of an alteration we may expect soon to be reduced to the humiliating condition of seeing the cause of america in america upheld by foreign arms the generosity of our allies has a claim to all our confidence and all our gratitude but it is neither for the honor of america nor for the interest of the common cause to leave the work entirely to them he then reviewed the resources of great britain and after showing her ability still to prosecute the war added the inference from these reflections is that we cannot count upon a speedy end of the war and that it is the true policy of america not to content herself with temporary expedients but to endeavor if possible to give consistency and solidity to her measures an essential step to this will be immediately to devise a plan and put it in execution for providing men in time to replace those who will leave us at the end of the year and for subsisting and for making a reasonable allowance to the officers and soldiers the plan for this purpose ought to be of general operation and such as will execute itself experience has shown that a peremptory draft will be the only effectual one if a draft for the war or for three years can be effected it ought to be made on every account a shorter period than a year is inadmissible to one who has been witness to the evils brought upon us by short enlistments the system appears to have been pernicious beyond description and a crowd of motives present themselves to dictate a change it may easily be shown that all the misfortunes we have met with in the military line are to be attributed to this cause had we formed a permanent army in the beginning which by the continuance of the same men in service had been capable of discipline we never should have to retreat with a handful of men across the delaware in seventeen seventy six trembling for the fate of america which nothing but the infatuation of the enemy could have saved we should not have remained all the succeeding winter at their mercy with sometimes scarcely a sufficient body of men to mount the ordinary guards liable at every moment to be dissipated if they had only thought proper to march against us we should not have been under the necessity of fighting at brandywine with an unequal number of raw troops and afterwards of seeing philadelphia fall a prey to a victorious army we should not have been at valley forge with less than half the force of the enemy destitute of everything in a situation neither to resist nor to retire we should not have seen new york left with a handful of men yet an overmatch for the main army of these states while the principal part of their force was detached for the reduction of two of them we should not have found ourselves this spring so weak as to be insulted by five thousand men unable to protect our baggage and magazines their security depending on a good countenance and a want of enterprise in the enemy we should not have been the greatest part of the war inferior to the enemy indebted for our safety to their inactivity enduring frequently the mortification of seeing inviting opportunities to ruin them pass unimproved for want of a force which the country was completely able to afford to see the country ravaged our towns burnt the inhabitants plundered abused murdered with impunity from the same cause after presenting in detail the embarrassments under which the civil departments of the army also had labored in consequence of the expensiveness and waste inseparable from its temporary character he proceeded to observe there is every reason to believe that the war has been protracted on this account our opposition being less made the successes of the enemy greater the fluctuation of the army kept alive their hopes and at every period of a dissolution of a considerable part of it they have flattered themselves with some decisive advantages had we kept a permanent army on foot the enemy could have had nothing to hope for and would in all probability have listened to terms long since if the army is left in its present situation it must continue an encouragement to the efforts of the enemy if it is put in a respectable one it must have a contrary effect and nothing i believe will tend more to give us peace the ensuing winter many circumstances will contribute to a negotiation an army on foot not only for another campaign but for several campaigns would determine the enemy to pacific measures and enable us to insist upon favorable terms and forcible language an army insignificant in numbers dissatisfied crumbling to pieces would be the strongest temptation they could have to try the experiment a little longer it is an old maxim that the surest way to make a good peace is to be well prepared for war i cannot forbear returning in this place to the necessity of a more ample and equal provision for the army the discontents on this head have been gradually matured to a dangerous extremity there are many symptoms that alarmed and distressed me endeavors are using to unite both officers and men in a general refusal of the money and some corps now actually decline receiving it every method has been taken to counteract it because such a combination in the army would be a severe blow to our declining currency the most moderate insist that the accounts of depreciation ought to be liquidated at stated periods and certificates given by government for the sums due they will not be satisfied with a general declaration that it shall be made good i have often said and i beg leave to repeat it the half-pay provision is in my opinion the most politic and effectual that can be adopted on the whole if something satisfactory be not done the army already so much reduced in officers by daily resignations as not to have a sufficiency to do the common duties of it must either cease to exist at the end of the campaign or will exhibit an example of more virtue fortitude self-denial and perseverance than has perhaps ever yet been paralleled in the history of human enthusiasm the dissolution of the army is an event that cannot be regarded with indifference it would bring accumulated distress upon us it would throw the people of america into a general consternation it would discredit our cause throughout the world it would shock our allies to think of replacing the officers with others is visionary the loss of the veteran soldiers could not be replaced to attempt to carry on the war with militia against disciplined troops will be to attempt what the common sense and common experience of mankind will pronounce to be impracticable but i should fail in respect to congress to dwell on observations of this kind in a letter to them proceedings of congress respecting the army at length the committee presented their report reorganizing the regiments reducing their number and apportioning on the several states their respective numbers to complete the establishment this report being approved by congress was transmitted to the commander-in-chief for his consideration by this arrangement the states were required to recruit their quotas for the war and to bring them into the field by the first of january but if in any state it should be found impracticable to raise the men for the war by the first day of december it was recommended to such state to supply the deficiency with men engaged to serve for not less than one year in compliance with the request of Congress, General washington submitted his objections to the plan in a long and respectful letter he recommended that legionary corps should be substituted in the place of regiments entirely of cavalry he thought it more advisable that the infantry attached to the cavalry should compose a part of the corps permanently than that it should be drawn occasionally from the regiments of foot the reduction in the number of regiments appeared to him a subject of great delicacy the last reduction he said had occasioned many to quit the service independent of those who were discontinued and had left durable seeds of discontent among those who remained the general topic of declamation was that it was as hard as dishonorable for men who had made every sacrifice to the service to be turned out of it at the pleasure of those in power without an adequate compensation in the maturity to which their uneasiness had now risen from a continuance of misery they would be still more impatient under an attempt of a similar nature it was not he said the intention of his remarks to discourage a reform but to show the necessity of guarding against the ill effects which might otherwise attend it by making an ample provision both for the officers who should remain in the service and for those who should be reduced this should be the basis of the plan and without it the most mischievous consequences were to be apprehended he was aware of the difficulty of making a present provision sufficiently ample to give satisfaction but this only proved the expediency of making one for the future and brought him to that which he had so frequently recommended as the most economical the most politic and the most effectual that could be devised this was half-pay for life supported by the prospect of a permanent provision the officers would be tied to the service and would submit to many momentary privations and to those inconveniences which the situation of public affairs rendered unavoidable if the objection drawn from the principle that the measure was incompatible with the genius of the government should be thought insurmountable he would propose a substitute less eligible in his opinion but which would answer the purpose it was to make the present half pay for seven years whole pay for the same period he also recommended that depreciation on the pay received should be made up to the officers who should be reduced no objection occurred to the measure now recommended but the expense it would occasion in his judgment whatever would give consistency to the military establishment would be ultimately favorable to economy it was not easy to be conceived except by those who had witnessed it what an additional waste and increased consumption of everything and consequently what an increase of expense resulted from laxness of discipline in an army and where officers thought they did a favor by holding their commissions and the men were continually fluctuating to maintain discipline was impossible nothing could be more obvious to him than that a sound military establishment and real economy were the same that the purposes of war would be greatly promoted by it It was too clear to admit of argument he objected also to the mode of effecting the reduction this was by leaving it to the several states to select the officers who should remain in service he regretted that congress had not thought proper to retain the reduction and incorporation of the regiments under their own discretion he regretted that it should be left to the states not only because it was an adherence to the state system which in the arrangements of the army he disapproved but because also he feared it would introduce much confusion and discontent in a business which ought to be conducted with the greatest circumspection he feared also that professing to select the officers to be retained in service would give disgust both to those who should be discontinued and to those who should remain the former would be sent away under the public stigma of inferior merit and the latter would feel no pleasure in a present preference when they reflected that at some future period they might experience a similar fate he wished with much sincerity that congress had been pleased to make no alteration in the term of service but had confined their requisition to men who should serve for the war to be raised by enlistment draft or assessment as might be found necessary as it now stood there would be very few men for the war and all the evils of temporary engagements would still be felt. in the present temper of the states he entertained the most flattering hopes that they would enter on vigorous measures to raise an army for the war if congress appeared decided respecting it but if they held up a different idea as admissible it would be again concluded that they did not think an army for the war was essential this would encourage the opposition of men of narrow interested and feeble tempers and enable them to defeat the primary object of the revolution this letter was taken into consideration and the measures it recommended were pursued in almost every particular even the two great principles which were viewed with most jealousy an army for the war and half pay for life were adopted it would have greatly abridged the calamities of america could these resolutions have been carried into execution every effort for the purpose was made by the commander-in-chief to place the officers of the army in a situation which would render their commissions valuable and hold out to them the prospect of a comfortable old age in a country saved by their blood their sufferings and the labors of their best years was an object which had always been dear to the heart of general washington and he had seized every opportunity to press it on congress that body had approached it slowly taking step after step with apparent reluctance as the necessity of the measure became more and more obvious the first resolution on the subject passed in may seventeen seventy eight allowed to all military officers who should continue in service during the war and not hold any office of profit under the united states or any of them half pay for seven years if they live so long at the same time the sum of eighty dollars in addition to his pay was granted to every non-commissioned officer and soldier who should serve to the end of the war in seventeen seventy nine this subject was resumed after much debate its farther consideration was postponed and the officers and soldiers were recommended to the attention of their several states with a declaration that their patriotism valor and perseverance in defense of the rights and liberties of their country had entitled them to the gratitude as well as the approbation of their fellow-citizens in seventeen eighty a memorial from the general officers depicting in strong terms the situation of the army and requiring present support and some future provision was answered by a reference to what had been already done and by a declaration that patience self-denial fortitude and perseverance and the cheerful sacrifice of time and health are necessary virtues which both the citizen and soldier are called to exercise while struggling for the liberties of their country and that moderation frugality and temperance must be among the chief supports as well as the brightest ornaments of that kind of civil government which is wisely instituted by the several states in this union this philosophic lecture on the virtues of temperance to men who were often without food and always scantily supplied was still calculated to assuage irritations fomented by the neglect which was believed to have been sustained in a few days afterwards the subject was brought again before congress and a more conciliating temper was manifested the odious restriction limiting the half-pay for seven years to those who should hold no post of profit under the united states or any of them was removed and the bounty allowed the men was extended to the widows and orphans of those who had died or should die in the service at length the vote passed which has been stated allowing half-pay for life to all officers who should serve in the armies of the united states to the end of the war resolutions were also passed recommending it to the several states to make up the depreciation on the pay which had been received by the army and it was determined that their future services should be compensated in the money of the new emission the value of which it was supposed might be kept up by taxes and by loans while the government of the union was thus employed in maturing measures for the preservation of its military establishment the time for action passed away without furnishing any material event the hostile armies continued to watch each other until the season of the year forced them out of the field just before retiring into winter quarters a handsome enterprise was executed by major talmage of colonel sheldon's regiment of light dragoons that gentleman had been generally stationed on the lines on the east side of the north river and had been distinguished for the accuracy of his intelligence he was informed that a large magazine of forage had been collected at Coram on long island which was protected by the militia of the country the cruisers in the sound and a small garrison in its neighborhood major talmage destroys the british stores at Corum. at the head of a detachment of eighty dismounted dragoons under the command of captain l edgar and of eight or ten who were mounted he passed the sound where it was twenty miles wide marched across the island in the night and so completely surprised the fort that his troops entered the works on three different sides before the garrison was prepared to resist them the british took refuge in two houses connected with the fortifications and commenced a fire from the doors and windows november twenty one these were instantly forced open and the whole party amounting to fifty-four among whom were a lieutenant-colonel captain and subaltern were killed or taken stores to a considerable amount were destroyed the fort was demolished and the magazines were consumed by fire the objects of the expedition being accomplished major talmage recrossed the sound without having lost a man on the recommendation of general washington congress passed a resolution expressing a high sense of the merit of those engaged in the expedition december the army retires into winter quarters no objects for enterprise presenting themselves the troops were placed in winter quarters early in december the pennsylvania line was stationed near morristown the jersey line about pompton on the confines of new york and new jersey and the troops belonging to the new england states at west point and in its vicinity on both sides of the north river the line of the state of new york remained at albany to which place it had been detached for the purpose of opposing an invasion from canada eruption of major carleton into new york major carleton at the head of one thousand men composed of europeans indians and tories had made a sudden eruption into the northern parts of new york and taken forts anne and george with their garrisons at the same time sir john johnson at the head of a corps composed of the same materials appeared on the mohawk several sharp skirmishes were fought in that quarter with the continental troops and a regiment of new levies aided by the militia of the country general clinton's brigade was ordered to their assistance but before he could reach the scene of action the invading armies had retired after laying waste the whole country through which they passed while the disorder of the american finances the exhausted state of the country and the debility of the government determined great britain to persevere in offensive war against the united states by keeping alive her hopes of conquest europe assumed an aspect not less formidable to the permanent grandeur of of that nation than hostile to its present views european transactions in the summer of seventeen eighty russia sweden and denmark entered into the celebrated compact which has been generally denominated the armed neutrality holland had also declared a determination to accede to the same confederacy and it is not improbable that this measure contributed to the declaration of war which was made by great britain against that power towards the close of the present year the long friendship which had existed between the two nations was visibly weakened from the commencement of the american war holland was peculiarly desirous of participating in that commerce which the independence of the united states would open to the world and from the commencement of hostilities her merchants especially those of amsterdam watched the progress of the war with anxiety and engaged in speculations which were profitable to themselves and beneficial to the united states the remonstrances made by the british minister at the hague against this conduct were answered in the most amicable manner by the government but the practice of individuals continued the same when the war broke out between france and england a number of dutch vessels trading with france laden with materials for shipbuilding were seized and carried into the ports of great britain although the existing treaties between the two nations were understood to exclude those articles from the list of contraband of war the british cabinet justified these acts of violence and persisted in refusing to permit naval stores to be carried to her enemy in neutral bottoms this refusal however was accompanied with friendly professions and an offer to pay for the vessels and cargoes already seized and with proposals to form new stipulations for the future regulation of that commerce the states-general refused to enter into any negotiations for the modification of subsisting treaties and the merchants of all the great trading towns especially those of amsterdam expressed the utmost indignation at the injuries they had sustained in consequence of this conduct the british government required those succors which were stipulated in ancient treaties and insisted that the casus fetus had now occurred advantage was taken of the refusal of the states-general to comply with this demand to declare the treaties between the two nations at an end the temper produced by this state of things inclined holland to enter into the treaty for an armed neutrality and in november the dutch government acceded to it some unknown causes prevented the actual signature of the treaty on the part of the states-general until a circumstance occurred which was used for the purpose of placing them in a situation not to avail themselves of the aid stipulated by that confederacy to its members while mr lee one of the ministers of the united states was on a mission to the courts of vienna and berlin he fell in company with a mr john de neufville a merchant of amsterdam with whom he held several conversations on the subject of a commercial intercourse between the two nations the result of which was that the plan of an eventual commercial treaty was sketched out as one which might thereafter be concluded between them this paper had received the approbation of the pensionary van berkel and of the city of amsterdam but not of the states-general mr henry lawrence late president of congress was deputed to the states-general with his plan of a treaty for the double purpose of endeavoring to complete it and of negotiating alone for the use of his government on the voyage he was captured by a british frigate and his papers which he had thrown overboard were rescued from the waves by a british sailor among them was found the plan of a treaty which had been mentioned and which was immediately transmitted to sir joseph yorke the british minister at the hague to be laid before the government the explanations of this transaction not being deemed satisfactory by the court of london sir joseph yorke received orders to withdraw from the hague soon after which war was proclaimed against holland this bold measure which added one of the first maritime powers in europe to the formidable list of enemies with whom britain was already encompassed was perhaps not less prudent than courageous there are situations to which only high-minded nations are equal in which a daring policy will conduct those who adopt it safely through the very dangers it appears to invite dangers which a system suggested by a timid caution might multiply instead of avoiding the present was probably one of those situations holland was about to become a member of the armed neutrality after which her immense navigation would be employed unmolested in transporting the property of the enemies of britain and in supplying them with all the materials for shipbuilding or the whole confederacy must be encountered america however received with delight the intelligence that holland also was engaged in the war and founded additional hopes of its speedy termination on that event chapter eight part two